All right. Welcome, everyone, to the first Devils in the Detail podcast. Uh, I'm Gadget Guy, and I will be moderating this podcast for this week. And the very first guest is Menos, the Overlord. Hello, Menos. How's it going? Oh, well, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you as well. So we're just going to jump straight up into the topics. Uh, and the first topic I have today is, uh, you know, we just had a big drop of Ubisoft news lately. So Watch Dogs Legion, that was a game that I particularly really caught my eye as something interesting. What do you think, Menos? Yeah, same. I I thought, or rather, I was expecting to be more interested in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but as it turns out, Watch, Dog, Watch Dogs Legion looks much more interesting, actually, because Valhalla kind of looks like same old what they did before. So yeah, um, and with Watch Dogs Legion, what really impressed me was all of the crazy abilities they had. I saw a um a kind of a first look from the publication Rock Paper Shotgun. And there was a beekeeper who had robo-bees that could distract up to two people at a time. And he had a bee gun that when he shot his robo-bees would explode. Yeah, it's it's a bit like a villain from, I don't know, Gotham or something like that. But it's really interesting because it actually feels like a huge leap forward in comparison to the other two games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been playing Watch Dogs 2 recently, and while it's fun, I definitely see the limit. Yeah, haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, ever since they did that free giveaway. Um, and I've exactly. I've definitely been seeing, like, while I really enjoy the story and the characters, I can kind of see where the game suffers in terms of gameplay variety, since I, mm. I pretty much just always call in, like, enemy gang members, and then they clean up, and then I just walk in and do the puzzle. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I really hope that Watch Dogs Legion will end up being something. Uh, it's kind of actually surprising because, you know, it, it looks like Ubisoft is actually taking a risk, which they don't usually do. Usually they kind of, like, stick to the same formula until, uh, you know, something pushes them forward for some reason. Usually it's backlash due to the same formula constantly. Yeah, exactly. Though I, uh, maybe the delay helped, um, because I remember the game, what was it, the game was supposed to come out April, June, something like that? Yeah, I'm not sure myself, actually. And uh, I haven't been following it as much as I am now be, uh, before I actually saw the Ubisoft Direct or what it was called. Yeah, the, I guess it was the Ubisoft Forward. I, th I think what, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think what really helped was that, um, you know, it actually showed gameplay, <laughs> like, Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I had a huge amount of hype initially for, you know, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but after that cinematic trailer and then the second trailer, which supposedly had gameplay, you know, <laughs> my hype kind of died, but then Watch Dogs Legion comes up, and first of all, they have that really cool cinematic trailer, but then it's followed up by a gameplay trailer, which just... Yeah. Yeah, that just completely... <laughs> got my hype up because it just looks fun and that's really a wall. I mean I mean it's not even like it's a bad thing to um meticulously create a cinematic experience uh, as a trailer or as a teaser but don't call it a gameplay trailer <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, uh, if there's no gameplay in it. <laughs> according to uh, was a PC gamer there was 2 to 3 seconds of gameplay and I I, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, after I read that I rewatched the video several <laughs> times and I didn't see any gameplay. Yeah, I, don't. I mean like 
simulated gameplay at best, like situations that would occur in the game, but that weren't actually played in real time. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we're, we're all gamers, we can tell. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think, yeah, it was a huge debacle, really. Like, first they say it's gameplay, and it's just like this a minute cinematic trailer, and then they don't tell us when we're going to actually see gameplay. I just, uh, that one was, that was not their best <laughs> marketing decision. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and it's not like they have huge competition in terms of good decisions or, or rather in terms of bad decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm hyped for Watch Dogs Legion. That's about all I have to say about the topic. Do you have any closing thoughts on that particular topic, Menace? Well, I think that the the setting of Legion is much more f- befitting of the series because um, you mentioned that we've all been playing Watch Dogs 2 recently. Um, and I think what it suffers a little bit from is that the the plot that they have isn't actually that bad, but it kind of falls to the sidelines because it's just this huge open sandbox and you hijack a car and you drive around and the story becomes a bit of an afterthought, like in many GTA games. Mm-hmm. And I think with the the way that Legion is going to play out, where the story is actually supposed to be an afterthought and it's supposed to be this huge giant sandbox where you play with other people... It's gonna work much better, in my opinion. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Now, we the next topic we kind of talked about it already. They finally showed Assassin's Creed Valhalla gameplay. Hooray! What do you thought? Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, um, who doesn't want to play Assassin's Creed Origins Viking Edition? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I uh, I will say that I do like the stun attacks that they have added. Um, it seems to be from like a for honor maybe inspiration because mm. man that odyssey, sometimes if you were like evenly matched or against a stronger opponent in odyssey oh man those fights could last like 45 minutes you were just dodging around sword poking dodging around maybe mm. using ability like i don't know it would just get it, it would get kind of annoying so if there's some way where you can just uh quickly stun them using like really great timing and like parrying mechanics and then you can just like deal a million damage to them like even the boss even the boss they showed off was stun attacked yeah that definitely looks um much more interesting and like it could be a potential time saver um i gotta say it's not like the game looks bad but i kind of was expecting more it's uh like you said the hype kind of died not only with the um, lack of gameplay in the gameplay trailer but i don't know we've seen a lot of viking stuff recently and we have seen games that kind of did it better like um one of the very obvious comparisons this game probably has to face is uh, hellblade senior sacrifice which just looks so much better and i think even the the combat uh, seems like it's a bit more satisfying in Hellblade. So um, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see um, how it turns out when it comes out. But yeah, I was I was expecting a bit more new things. But like you said, Ubisoft likes to play it safe and stick to the formula. And I guess uh, <laughs> I'm partially to blame for expecting more. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, not that you should hope for different mechanics but i think ubisoft is sort of relying on their like comfort food brand like when when someone's buying an ubisoft game they 100 yeah. know what they're getting um 
that's true yeah. yeah there there's no guess there's no like oh man am i actually gonna like this it's uh you know they know pretty much what kind of open world sandboxes um that ubisoft creates and i mean that's sort of why watchdogs legion was a big deal but i guess you know they had to have one of their games be a uh you know just a comfort food piece so they just picked um assassin's creed this year yeah probably Although I do, I did find it interesting um, from the gameplay, and I was curious your thoughts. Um, I know in Odyssey, um, you know Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you leveled up, and then you got skill points, which you could put in skills, uh, which sort of contrasted with Origins, where you leveled up and then you got stat boosts. And Valhalla seems to be a bit of a combination of the two, because what is it? Um, Oh, right, right. Uh, so they have level-ups or stat boosts, and the way you get skills and improved skills is by exploring the world and finding these skill books. Mm. So what do you think of that design, personally? I think what, we, what we're what we going to get looks good, but i got to be uh, honest, uh, I haven't actually played much of Origins and Odyssey yet. I have yet to play them. Yeah, they're good games, but <laughs> they're definitely a, a time sink, so... I can completely understand that. Anything else you want to say before we move on to the next thing? Um. Well, w- one other thing that I'm not too big of a fan of is um, the angle of bringing bringing in mythology, which they've done before. Um, it's kind of gotten into the supernatural, and I mean, with the with the Eden pieces, it has been a bit of that all along. But bringing in actual gods is uh, it it still feels a bit off for me uh, in the context of the series and um while i love norse mythology and the gods and know quite a bit about them and i loved um god of war 2018 for example um it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't fit together too well for me assassin's creed and that uh deep mythology angle yeah oh are you talking about like that one fight where uh like the lady is like teleporting around with like lightning or fire or something. Oh yeah, that too. But I mean, I I believe I read in advance uh, a few weeks ago that um, mythology and gods will be will play effect will factor into the gameplay and to the story. And I mean, um, in that gameplay trailer that had no gameplay, we even <laughs> see Odin. <laughs> I mean, supposedly Odin. Um, I don't know, I guess it's another thing we'll just have to wait and see how much of it is in there, but um, yeah, again, I, I feel like um, the first game, the first Assassin's Creed game and a uh, few of the subse- uh, subsequent titles managed very well to be uh, historically pretty accurate and realistic, and again, that mythology angle doesn't just fit very well with it in my opinion yeah i understand i did think it was interesting though that with that lady who teleports around with fire and lightning uh they sort of explained it away from the mythological standpoint by saying she releases like a releases a hallucinogenic poison oh yeah so i I thought that was kind of like smart to make it seem mythological but still be somewhat grounded um, that can be a nice workaround if it's only that one opponent or people of her faction or whatever. But if it's, I mean, it it can't be the excuse for every single no, yeah, boss battle yeah, you have to definitely. face in the game. And 
yeah and um on the other hand uh, a different excuse for each and every one of them that explains away mythological aspects uh, <laughs> won't work either so yeah i mean understandable yeah. all right next topic far cry 6 trailer uh geez this one that was really one of the best far cry trailers in my experience so far what have, what did you think you know? it looks amazing and i mean um i'm pretty sure we all have our own reasons to love it and i i'm also pretty sure that for many of us um a particular actor is <laughs> one of the big <laughs> <Yes>. selling points <laughs> um We've seen him in several things uh, at this point. We've seen him in Breaking Bad. We've seen him in um, even a, a, um, an add-on for Payday 2, I believe. He was yes, uh, the yes, dentist. Yes. And, I mean, man, that guy has so much charisma. He's such an amazing actor. And in that trailer, you can really see it, this, this presence that he has. Um, I, it's certainly one of the biggest selling points for me. I mean... Um, We'll have to wait and see how um, how the story itself will be. And I've heard rumors, or maybe it was just jokes or memes, about him being uh, in the first five minutes of the game and then <laughs> the, the boy will be the villain. Um, I hope that's not the case. It was a real disappointment in, uh, in the Godzilla movie. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, I just, I really thought it was really powerful how he took, like the innocent kid and you could already see like the beginning of the corruption so to speak you know yeah yeah exactly that's what i mean with uh that on-screen presence that he yeah has. really it's, yeah it's like he can say so much without uh using any words like just with his um with his stare with his um facial expressions and just this uh, there's there's a part of it that you can't really put into words um about his presence i i don't know how to say it yeah i yeah it was just really good one thing that i found interesting was from the screenshots uh that they later released was um it looks this time around like we're actually playing a native of the island because all the previous ones have been uh someone from the outside coming in yeah, exactly. It was a bit like uh, you're a castaway and you're in this f uh, very strange environment that you're not familiar with. And yeah, this time around it looks like quite a different experience. I hope that will mean that the story is definitely going to, you know, sort of be at the forefront. Because I think they kind of experimented with that um, in the fifth game, especially with uh, the villain... Uh, his name's like Jonathan, Jason, I don't remember what it is. It starts with a J, I think. Hmm. Um, and, I mean, while it was sort of interesting, um, there wasn't a lot of plot. There wasn't enough plot to really substantiate an actual, like, story arc in my eyes. Because... Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. That's... that's... In fact, that's uh, a bit of what I meant, meant when we were talking about Watch Dogs Legion. Um, that the story just falls a bit off to the side and it's more focused on the gameplay and um, yeah I mean we have so many uh, so much potential for great storytelling in these games especially with uh, actors like this um, that I think it would be a real shame if it wasn't more focused on the story oh yeah definitely alright anything else you want to say about this before we move on um yes, I've uh, rewatched um 
a video that compared Far Cry 2 to Far Cry 5 the other day in terms of all the different details and um, I was just shocked how much uh, more detail Far Cry 2 has and I hope that in some ways they get back to it like um, I don't know if you have seen the video I think I posted it in some channel maybe the games channel um, it's just mind-blowing that um, for example, when you throw a Molotov in the in the savanna, like all the grass starts to burn and burns a whole um, a huge radius of of it away before the fire go goes out and um, the injuries that you can get. I mean, it it shouldn't focus too much on that because at some point it's gonna become tedious. But um, yeah, Fa Far Cry Five looks like. It's three games before Far Cry 2, actually, in terms of all the details they've they've built in, and or rather they've taken out. Yeah, I, I know that. Which is kind of insane. The the uh, injured enemies, uh, where other enemies come rushing in and help them up and patch up their wounds in in Far Cry 2, and the way they react when they're shot in the in the leg, uh, as compared to when they're shot in the hand, and how they uh, drag themselves to a wall so they can sit upright and it's it's just insane. Yeah. I mean it's it's really more um telling about how much they put work they put into Far Cry 2 because it stands out so much even especially when you think uh, when you think about how long ago it was published um than it does to Far Cry 5 because Far Cry 5 is still a really good game and compares really well to games that came out at the same time and especially in terms of gameplay but I don't know. Far Cry 2 was really, really far ahead of its time. Yeah, um, Far Cry 5, yeah. that's It still has that uh, grass-burning thing, but yeah, the animations are definitely... And just the enemies are a bit more generic. I know that I have personally played some Far Cry 3, and yeah, I, I remember pe people would react to where they were shot uh, like a leg, you know, they'd start limping, which would be great to yeah, finish exactly. to finish them off. Whereas Far Cry Five, pretty much wherever you shot them, they would just fall over dead at some point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next up would be, and I think this one's gonna go a little faster. Hyperspace gameplay and beta. So this is uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this is Ubisoft's take on a battle royale. Uh, but what makes it unique, I guess, is that you can um, revive people, and also it's a little more focused on like sort of silly gadgets and the like. So, you know, I personally won't be playing it much because I'm not a fan of the genre. But you know, what do you think, Minos? Are you going to play it? Um, I don't think so. I think I'm going to try it at some point. But um, yeah, I got to say, Ubisoft is a bit late to the party in terms of that genre. Because we've all reached a point where a bit where we either have settled on our battle royale game of choice, or we've been become tired of the genre. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I've I played some Fortnite when it first came out just to explore it, and pretty much when you once you've played Fortnite, you've pretty much played them all. In my exactly. in my opinion, I've, I mean, there's there's some twists, but. Pretty much, if you don't, if you bounce off of Fortnite, I think you're probably gonna bounce off of hyperspace as well. Exactly. Anything else you want to say? I mean, it, it 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 looks it looks good in terms of of the visual appeal and in terms of the 
crazy wacky abilities that you can use and <laughs> yeah turn um, into it actually, a ball yeah exactly um actually some of those uh standard abilities like uh, where you basically use uh blink to teleport forward a few meters um the effects that accompany that that looks uh a bit like um corrupted vi video material reminded me of um the third infamous game uh second sun where you can unlock video abilities and it looks exactly the same yeah i mean I will I will give them that man. Their presentation is generally pretty pretty up there. <laughs> oh yeah, if it was a different genre, I would be more interested definitely based on the visuals alone. Yeah, it would have been fun if it was like a Watchdog spin-off which focused more on like a an action-oriented FPS, but you know, people will enjoy it, I hope. Um and it's pretty much all I have to say about that one. Um next up we have uh, Ubisoft's new internal investigation and actually producing results. What do you think about that? Um, we're going to have to see the results of that um, because so far they've pretty much stayed clear of that topic, avoided it and focused on new game announcements to uh, to make people ignore or forget the fact that these allegations have been around. Um I think so far they've handled it rather poorly, so we'll have to see what those results will be. Yeah, I, I mean, I was actually surprised that they straight up fired like three people who were pretty high up, like the uh, the creative director, uh, you know, the head creative director, who basically yay or nayed whether or not a, a game would get produced. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it it definitely looks like they're finally getting uh, going in the wrong di uh, in the right direction, but uh, I mean that the Basically, the boss of Ubisoft uh, knows about it for, I don't know, two weeks now, when it has been a problem for several years. Uh, I don't buy it. Yeah, I, uh, I I hope that that workplace becomes a lot more safe. Um, I'm hoping that those initial firings were not the last and that, you know, they'll really do a deep clean uh, I, I think I, I'm, I'm hopeful because they did mention that basically the Ubisoft forward was pre-recorded, so they couldn't really mm. talk a bit more about it at the time. But again, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will cause either positive change just in Ubisoft or hopefully, you know, the entire scene. As I noticed, there's been a lot of the, you know, just just abusive people in general getting kicked out and uh, rightfully so. Yeah, I, ho I I really hope so too. Um about that uh being pre-recorded and thus changes can't be made. Um they have demonstrated again with that gameplay trailer of Assassin's Creed <laughs> Valhalla that they are indeed uh able to edit video footage. So they could have edited something in um, that's not really an excuse for me for not addressing it. And um, the one time they didn't use that uh, Ubisoft Forward hashtag was when they addressed those allegations. So they definitely don't want those two topics to be connected when you shouldn't really separate them. So they're doing some right things and they're doing some wrong things still. And I'm not going to overlook those. But uh, let's see how the investigations go and how much will come of that. As you said, if those three firings they did now are the whole extent of it, then, yeah, that's not looking good for them. Yeah, that's how I personally feel. 
Uh, anything else you want to mention about that? I mean, we don't really have a lot of information, but hopefully... Exactly. Um, no, I, I, I think um, at this point it would be a bit early to say much about it. Let's just see how it goes. Yeah, that's that's my stance in that, on it. Uh, so next up, I was just curious from a you know web developer standpoint, you know which you are. What did you think of Ubisoft's handling of giving away Watch Dogs two during the stream? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it it would have been amazing if it had actually worked. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I I think they were were woefully unprepared because uh, so many people couldn't log in and claim their reward. And I mean. To be fair, they're giving out the keys now and uh, have given out the keys to most people. I got mine, obviously, uh, but it was still pretty poor handling on their part because, um, yeah, not only um, was Watch Dogs 2 not the only reward that you could get, but now they're have, having to give it away to more people because they can't control who was trying to log in. and. Um, it's a bit of a mess for for everyone involved. I mean, they're having to give away more money for free, basically. And uh, on the other hand, uh, we're having to go to through some trouble to get it and have the waiting times and all of that. And I mean, in the end, it's actually probably good for Ubisoft because they can brag to their shareholders about how many ga- uh, people now own the game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Numbers. Yeah, those numbers will uh, be listed at, as game bought, and many more people are going to play it now, so uh, the shareholders will be happy, no matter wh- whether the game was for free or not. Yeah, I think I think just, you know, n- not even so much the, you know, things bought, I think that they're going to brag to the shareholders of how many people were at the, the stream. I mean, I didn't, I didn't get to see how many people were on Twitch, but I know... There were at least a hundred thousand people just on YouTube alone, um, and that doesn't even count the official Ubisoft forward page. So they had upwards of like three hundred k potentially watching a stream. Yeah, probably. So, oh man, that's gonna look so good for their for their shareholders because I mean, it looks like so many people are interested in the next generation of Ubisoft games when you know. It, it was a little slightly, you know, fudged by the fact that they were given away, like, a free game. Yeah, definitely. And it wasn't just like they were giving away the game, because uh, the longer you stayed, the more rewards you were promised, like, uh, add-on content for other games, like Legion and uh, Valhalla, even. Yeah I, yeah, I think it was mostly cosmetics, but yeah, I could see why people would want to stay. But I th- it was free stuff, and you just had to keep the video running, no matter whether you're watching or not. So yeah, honestly, I, th- I think the uh, the amount of sort of goodwill they got with shareholders uh, really outweighed the like models and stuff they had to make for the cosmetic items later yeah. on. You know, and, and Watch Dogs Two is you know is relatively older at this point, so basically all the people who were going to buy it bought it, and you know, this, like you said, this just makes, this props up the numbers even better. Exactly. Uh, so I, I sort of wish we could have had uh, a second guest who really, really cares about this. Um, I don't personally know your relation to this, but, uh, what do you think of the Sam Fisher trolling? You know, they, they announced <laughs> the, the mobile Ro- rainbow six siege game. And I mean, honestly, I'm, I think it looks kind of cool. But of course, you know, who comes running by on the rooftops but Sam Fisher and 
it proceeds to just make people disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are very pissed, and I'm pretty happy that I'm not really among those people because I'm not that invested in the Splinter Cell series or in Sam Fisher as a as a character. Uh, but I can definitely see why people would be annoyed or disappointed by it. Um, yeah, again, I, I think that's something they should handle with more care because uh, gamers can be really passionate. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've seen that before. I think, yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's going to be a, a lot more backlash for that as well. Yeah, it uh, it really is a shame that they haven't announced anything for like what is it a decade for Splinter Cell, and yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, and I mean, uh, it's it's not like I I don't care at all about the games. The the ones I've played uh, were really solid games and had some pretty innovative ideas at the time as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I'd have to say this, but Splinter Cell essentially. Uh, sort of pushed the stealth genre into the mainstream. There was yeah. there was Metal Gear Solid, but that one was exactly. that one was really really hard. Uh, and it, I just don't think it. A lot of people latched onto it, but then once you got like that third person shooter perspective, and you know more refined mechanics and you know cool spy gadgets, Splinter Cell really. I think that's why it has a lot of love is because it was really. Like the first big stealth game. Yeah, I I definitely know what you mean, and I def- definitely agree. Um, what's interesting is that Metal Gear Solid is probably much more well known, especially with people who haven't played either of the games. Mm, true. So it did a lot more right in terms of marketing, uh, which may be one of the reasons why Splinter Cell doesn't get any real love from the developers <laughs> or rather the publisher at this point. Um, but Splinter Cell definitely eases you into the genre mo- much more. So, yeah, I agree. I guess perhaps the reason that they're not so interested in Splinter Cell is that, you know, the stealth game genre has sort of become pretty. It you know, yeah overdone. yeah that's a good that's a good word you know there are all these indie games coming out that are stealth based and you know other games are including stealth in it. Which yeah, know. I know what you mean. I mean, we can see that uh, even Assassin's Creed has moved pretty much away from stealth mechanics and is more into open encounters. Yeah, uh, from what I can tell. So yeah, I definitely know what you mean. But um, on the other hand, we have Hitman games that are very successful and uh, play a lot with different mechanics that allow open and hidden stealth in quotation marks with all the costumes and all that, I think there's still a big market for it, as we can see with the reactions to the Sam Fisher trolling. And uh, <laughs> they should definitely try and ca- uh, uh, capitalize on that. Yeah, I uh, I wonder if the reason that they're not really pursuing Splinter Cell at this point is because of games like Hitman, because Hitman's sort of got that stealth, but it's also like the open world and I wonder if they tried to go for like a more open world feeling, um, they would, you know, they would obviously get more market share because, you know, more people like open world. But I also wonder if, you know, people would a feel like it's ripping off, um, like a Hitman game, and b mm. if, you know, there'd be a sort of a backlash because generally Splinter Cell games have been like a linear sort of experience. What you know, I mean, you can choose how you approach a situation, but, you know, it's just kind of like a set of missions going from one to the other. And to to change the games that 
that heavily. I, I think they're just afraid of the backlash more than they are of, you know, actually making another game. Yeah, but, I mean, has there been any backlash for the formulaic nature of the Splinter Cell series as as far as we got? Because I, I'm not even sure they have to change the formula that much. Because there's definitely a market for both, and I can see why Hitman would approach a more open-worlds model, while Splinter Cell could very well work in a more linear setting, because if you're a, an agent that gets sent sent into a particular mission uh, it actually makes sense that you would would have a limited uh, a limited uh, range of options uh, how you could approach that target yeah i could definitely see that by making it by making it mission based um, i mean if you have your briefing uh, it it even makes sense to have it mission based and not like one huge open world experience and i mean i d i definitely think there's a market for both yeah definitely um yeah i i hope they eventually will stop teasing fans and actually make you know and i mean uh, game. if if they want to if they want to go really risky and at the same time safe um, they can just combine their franchises. I mean, Sam Fisher is basically a modern-day assassin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, Ubisoft. So that's what I was—I sort of joked about the other day was that like uh, Sam Fisher was a Templar. So I mean, that'd be honestly pretty pretty awesome. It would be like because I, I was I was often wondering how would they bring Assassin's Creed into sort of a, a modern slash semi-futuristic setting, just you know, to keep the series interesting. And perhaps you know maybe that's that's their entry point is the is would be an Assassin's Creed Sam Fisher edition or something. What would be or what could be if they do it right really interesting uh, would be if Sam Fisher was even the the antagonist of a new Assassin's Creed game that's set in modern times and they wouldn't ruin it with any spoilers in advance. Oh, you you know um, that won't happen. They, no, of course not. <laughs> but if they did it right, that could work really well i think yeah and i mean we've we've seen similar things with games like i don't know prototype 2 but which was very poorly handled uh but alex mercer was the villain in that yeah i mean it's also i mean assassin's creed 3 even has that sort of oh yeah definitely. structure already i mean uh if we go back to assassin's creed 3 the character you play in the beginning you know is the antagonist of the protagonist and you know the twist is interesting but you know as you can see the series is already you know willing to take someone who you expect to be the protagonist and you know twist yeah, them I mean, around uh, assassin's creed rogue is the perfect example of that actually how so because you play uh, an assassin that becomes a templar in that game oh right right yes 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 that yeah that I mean, certainly was interesting his, his, the 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 story could have been handled a bit better because you get a lot of reasons why he wouldn't trust the assassins because you see that the assassins do a lot of fucked up shit as well <laughs> um which which gives him reason to actually abandon the assassins order but he doesn't really get that much reason to join the templars in their stead i mean uh it would have been nice to really see uh motivation for that or to do, see him pursue another path without either the assassins or the templars but i mean there's only so much you can do in in over the course of a story and uh they could have handled it better but it was still a very interesting game conceptually yeah definitely or they could uh sort of i don't know uh, 
make a, a a new thing where now there's a third secret faction or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Which has been along uh, around all along. Yeah, exactly, it's, exactly. It's, it's the Snoke of the Assassin's Creed universe. <laughs> <laughs> like uh uh what is it uh the the first civilization that isu made uh, a vault and um uh first pe- yeah, first people who are really attuned with artifacts were uh in stasis in it and uh then they get released in modern day and uh you know i don't know sam fisher was investigating it but then got taken over by uh an apple of eden and i don't <laughs> i don't know but you know i think the series could definitely take go, go some interesting routes i just wish they would actually explore them yeah definitely they they play it safe way too often yeah definitely uh and w- interestingly enough one of those playing it safe was uh ghost recon breakpoint uh which they just showed off ai teammates uh, mm. No one was really excited about it from yeah, anyone same. I know. It was just trying to make the game look better, considering how even, like, usually the mainstream uh, sort of reviewing publications will try to give an Ubisoft game, you know, at least at least a seven, but oh man, they all yeah. went like three and fours on that one, like in solidarity. Like that one was not getting off the hook. Yeah, it's uh, it's a rare sight to be old. <laughs> I'm definitely glad, glad that not every game by Ubisoft automatically gets a six or a seven, or a seven or an eight better. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's usually comfort food, so I mean, I can kind of understand the seven, but that one was that one is apparently deserving of its like threes and. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, it is uh, mostly comfort food, and I can understand the seven on the one hand, but at, on the other hand, that basically devaluates the seven as a whole also true so if i see if i see a major publication give any game a seven out of ten i it basically tells me nothing yeah uh, and i look for other sources like steam reviews or something like that yeah yeah i mean i can understand that because seven is sort of like that you know it's good but we don't want to give it like a five sort of thing yeah it's, so. it's, it's basically the the golden middle way that uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the it's cop out number or bad yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it feels like at least. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean and and that's the sad part. I I'm pretty sure there are a lot of legit sevens that uh earn the 70% mark. Um don't earn more and don't earn earn uh, particularly less. But uh those get I I mean uh for me those are easily overlooked because of the games that just play it safe with uh, or rather the reviews that just play it safe with the sevens yeah definitely uh well another game that got a lot of flack from ubisoft was the Trackmania series where they tried to explain how a subscription was not a subscription <laughs> exactly yeah it's not a subs- subscription you just buy the game several times yeah i mean it's really disappointing because you know i saw you know the gameplay they showed off, and it does look pretty, pretty fun. So it, it really is disappointing how, the, you know, I feel like it's sort of a start of how they're looking at games as a service, and I'm, I'm personally not a fan. Nah, no, no, uh, same. Um, I mean, as far as I understand it, you can play the game without using the subscription model, but you just can't create your own tracks and 
several other features uh, are unavailable to you, uh, which still is bad. I mean, yeah, um, that's half the fun. Exactly, exactly. Especially since Trickmania is one of those franchises that perfected those uh, clicking mechanics for, for creating tracks, and you could create some really, really insane and crazy tracks in those games. So, yeah, it's it's a huge appeal of, the, of those games, and um, yeah, paying paying annually or monthly for that, um, but not as a subscription in some way. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll pass on this ga- that game. Let's just. I mean, I that. I thought that um, Ubisoft's sort of season like year pass thing was already kind of successful. Like how mm-hmm. Rainbow Six Siege has like a, a year pass where like oh you get all the content and uh, you just have to you know you can buy it all for like $20 or you can try and earn it with in-game currency which will take you about 10 years um, but uh, you know I, I thought they already had a decent system so the fact that they're they're going this way I don't know I just I yeah it was bad PR that could have definitely been <laughs> avoided if they had just been like yeah we're going like a, a year one pass for Trackmania where you get new pieces for your track customization and uh, new car cosmetics or something. I don't know. I just, I, yeah, it was not handled well. Yeah, definitely. Now, one, I think Ubisoft just supports them, uh, and they're sort of partnered game that sort of got overlooked and kind of understandably because they're pretty indie, but Brawlhalla, you know, I've, I've played that one off and on for the last couple of years, and I've personally enjoyed it. It's like the best sort of Smash clone on PC at the moment. What did you, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I gotta say I mainly played it on the PlayStation 4 because I started there and it makes little sense when you've already earned a few characters, uh, permanent unlocks, um, to switch. But I'm I'm definitely gonna play the the PC version as well because just because yeah, of it is the fact it is pretty I good on PC. I, you know, that's mainly where I've been playing it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty much is just a fun little sort of more party styled, like I said, Super Smash Bros game and obviously it's been doing pretty well for itself i mean it's been getting first of all it got partnered with ubisoft which you know ubisoft is deep pockets and that's never a bad thing for an indie developer i guess Hmm. and not only that oh go ahead well we'll we'll have to see the fact that it's only a partnership uh, gives me hope but um i i don't know big pockets don't necessarily only mean good things because that's true how many how many small indie studios have been bought and then shut down by the likes of EA and Microsoft, yeah, like Relic and yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, it is it is a shame. Uh, but like I said, what gives me hope is that it's just a partnership, and they've even been partnering with other studios. Like I I think the latest one is Cartoon Network Games, where they did like a Ben Ten. Uh, yeah, I saw that crossover. You know, so that I mean, that's kind of cool. I guess I I kind of wish the characters sort of like Rayman from Ubisoft were their own characters instead of just being skins. But uh, yeah, exactly. Like, I, but there's only so much you can do with those uh, weapon archetypes. Yeah, I mean, well, they, that's why they added a new one recently. I mean, I guess that's part of the reason they were showing it off. They added the Great Sword. You know, which mm. adds a little bit more complexity because it's got like two stances or something, which you know is is pretty new for the genre, or not the genre, but the game itself. 
since the yeah definitely and it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it when more characters get introduced that use that weapon type because uh what i find what i find very interesting about the game is that uh, each of the weapon types is feels vastly different uh, depending on which character uses it yeah that's very true especially with the like the strong moves yeah exactly like one of my favorite weapon types in that game is the dual pistols mm -hmm. and there's um i mean each of the characters has their own very unique strong moves and uh, like one of my favorite characters is nix because of the the dual pistols and the scythe yes <laughs> which is a really cool combination um but yeah someone like um what's the name um um, there's another dual pistol user with a uh, bit of a cyberpunky look. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I I can't think of the name right now. He's but, like an alien um, with a lance, I think. So you're talking about? Um, no, it's it's a uh, kind of a Mad Max look. Someone with a with a mohawk, um, female character. Oh right, I don't know their name personally. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter too much. But her style with the pistols is something I like even more than Nixus uh, because it feels very different. It's like uh, those green energy blasts and uh, the the moves are very interesting in that you have a move where you jump over the enemy and shoot them down and they bounce off the floor and fly up and stuff like that and yeah it's it's just really interesting how each weapon type um is very very recognizable for each of the characters, but they own all have their own put their own spin on it, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what new characters will do with the the what was it broadsword? Uh, great sword. Great sword, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, they've definitely been doing a great job at, like you said, making that great spin, so that it doesn't just feel samey and get boring anymore. Mm. Uh, so any more thoughts on Brawlhalla before we look at a different topic? Yeah, like I said, I've definitely got to start it on PC just because of the fact that uh, I definitely want to play it with friends yeah. who I don't have on my PS4 friend list. Yeah, so definitely a great game yeah, for gotta friends. Yeah, got to put some hours in there. Yeah. Um, um, nothing else. Yeah, Brawlhalla is one of those interesting great games where it's sort of like, it, it's there, but, you know, it's not really newsworthy most of the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Next up, I don't know how much experience you have with Civilization VI, but their newest uh, expansion pack is coming out sometime soon this month. Uh, it is Ethiopia, mm -hmm. and it's uh, I've just been really enjoying, honestly, looking at their first looks because I've been learning a lot about their history just through Civilization. Um, and also, this is sort of this Frontier Pass thing that they are doing is very different to how DLC has sort of been handled by Civilization VI in the past. Usually they bundle it all in a big old sack of uh, what they call an expansion, but this time it's like it's basically that, but spread out over a year. I was curious. Oh, I, I was curious your thoughts on that sort of like yearly um, model. I'm not, I'm not really familiar with the uh, Civilization series as a whole at all, um, so I can't really say much about how they've handled it previously. Um, I'm I'm a bit suspicious of this uh, spread out of a year of a year model, but uh, because um, I see potential for it ultimately costing more over the long run. Long run, so um, I don't know anything that 
is a bit like a sub subscription, even if it isn't, uh, is a bit fishy to me. So I uh, understand. Yeah, see. yeah uh, I mean, honestly, you're not wrong there, and that it'll cost more. Um, if I remember correctly, it's it was like thirty bucks, which is generally like the typical expansion pack price. But unlike um, previous expansions, where it was just like just one expansion. Uh, they're now they're now selling like the different civilizations a la carte, and if you buy them all a la carte, uh, it ends up being more expensive than buying the frontier pass. Yeah, I see. So maybe that's their their game. They're hoping to try and maybe like the frontier pass will like disappear or something at the end of the season or something, and that way people who want some of the content will end up paying more than typical expansion price overall. Mm, makes sense. I mean, it is, what is it, it's 2K, so I can, we we know how 2K can sometimes make very poor business decisions in terms of public relations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, they're a very mix, mixed bag in my experience. They, I mean, um, for example, uh, Borderlands 3 was something that, in terms of monetization, was uh, something I was really happy with because of all the... Uh, I mean, it's often an argument for DLCs, for paid DLCs uh, and microtransactions, that it's just cosmetics and thus not so bad. But in um, Borderlands 3, for example, you can unlock so many cosmetics just by playing the game. Oh, yeah, I mean... proving that you don't have to sell them. Um which is very, very amazing. And uh, I mean, it, it shouldn't be praised by us because it should be normal. It, it used to be normal several <laughs> years or decades normal, ago. Yeah. But um, it's it's great that some people still do it. Yeah, I Basically, mean... Basically, we, we, we have to appreciate the small things, I guess. As much as I, I don't especially like Randy Pitchford, their Gearbox's CEO, um, yeah, exactly. I do appreciate that 2K sort of let Gearbox be their own thing. And I do appreciate, like, because I don't know if you remember, but Borderlands 2 had, like, $2 cosmetic DLCs. Like, oh, man. The DLC for that game in particular was just insane. Um, well, I'm I'm kind of lucky, I guess, because um, I didn't get into Borderlands as early as many others. So when I bought it, it was the Handsome Collection, with had, which had all the uh, DLCs included. So... I didn't really experience that, but yeah. I'll take your word for it, that was pretty bad. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I bought it when it was the Goatee edition, so all of that was included in my game as well. But it was more just the fact that, oh man, if if you bought that game at full price with all the DLCs, the game cost like $200. Oh yeah. It was it was pretty insane. And I, and I am happy that the DLCs they have decided to release are sort of like you know, actual expansions, like new areas, weapons, characters, revisiting characters. And, you know, I, th I think it, it's actually been a good choice for them because all of their expansions have really gotten mostly positive reactions, at least from the circles that I've been watching, you know, compared to Borderlands 2 DLC. Yeah, that's the experience I've had as well. Um, or the, the impression, rather. Yeah. Plus, they added that really cool like Borderlands Science mini game, which I I completed in like a night. Which so <laughs> that was yeah, that's pretty fun. Uh, and 
anything else you want to talk about that? I can, I know we kind of got off uh, on a tangent about Borderlands because you know it's a a series near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, and um, on the other hand, I can't talk too much about Civilization because I have like zero <laughs> connections to it. So understandable. Um, Borderlands was it at least something I could talk about. Uh, no, I don't have anything to add. Alrighty. Uh, here's an interesting. Uh, thing that's been popping up uh crisis remastered uh so it started out they showed it off it looked worse than the original somehow and then yeah, they were especially modded i mean there there are some comparison videos of modded far cry and far cry um remastered and the modded experience looks insanely um, um better than the remastered yeah, so they I do appreciate though that they went back to the drawing board and now they are trying to do better. Um Yeah. So I know one of the, some of the new effects are uh you know cover destructibility and like vegetation bending and just mm-hmm. overall like lighting and stuff that they're trying to make better. Like I I appreciate when a developer tries, you know, takes fan feedback and is willing to delay something just because they want to make it better yeah same i think it's uh, a bit of a disease of the games industry nowadays that um, rushing the game out at the appointed time is more important than fin- actually completing the de- development of the game yeah i mean like the 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 huge giant day one patches have become so oh, normal geez, for us yeah. that we don't even blink about it anymore but uh buying a game or rather rather pre-ordering a game and installing it and then downloading a 50 gigabytes pet patch uh is quite insane and shouldn't be the norm yeah i mean i don't i don't like the day one patches either but honestly it it's thankfully the internet is way better these days and it you know in terms of download speed because oh man i remember trying to download patches back in like days with like dial up and stuff and oh man you it would, oh, it yeah, would take definitely. like but those but on the on the other hand those weren't the the day one experience yeah it's like, true yeah um sure the the internet connections we have today make it a lot easier and more bearable but it has basically become an excuse for the developers to not finish their games before the release because they they just put it out in an unfinished state and then keep developing the the day one patch and I mean, yeah, Skyrim was famous for that with uh, day one dragons flying backwards, and then they patched it. No, I'm sorry, dragons would stop in the air, and then the day one patch made them fly backwards, yes. and then the week two patch finally fixed them up to a working fashion. Yeah, and and it's not like that's the only problem Skyrim still has. Yeah, I mean, cer- <laughs> Even today. certainly true. Yeah, I mean. Bethesda is famous for, you know, their remasters and stuff. Basically, fans having to go back in and fix all the bugs with mods. Yeah, and I mean, one of the most famous examples or infamous examples, rather, is uh, Fallout 76, which introduced a lot of already patched Fallout 4 bugs back, uh, bugs back into the game. Yeah, who hooray! You know, if only. Yeah. Yeah, Fallout 76 is already... If you have to recycle the Fallout 4 engine, just use the patched version, (laughs) which has the bugs already removed. Like, introducing bugs that have been long taken care of in in the previous game, that's that's like, oh man, that's wrong on so many levels. Yeah, uh, I I, I mean... But but at least it's 16 times the details. (laughs) I, I guess. 
what is it? I read that they're still using basically like Fallout 3's engine from like a decade now. <laughs> so yeah, no I, wonder I, I it runs so poorly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just I just hope that they don't use it for the next Elder Scrolls game. Oh, I certainly which, hope not. Which it sounded like they were gonna, but um, that was very early on when Fallout 76 had just released or was about to release, so they might have rolled back on that decision, but Yeah, I feel like they yeah. they were thinking about it when they released that like trailer to show it was in development. And then when fans saw like Fallout 76, maybe they were like, well, maybe we should put a little more effort into this so it's not a Fallout 76 all over again and we lose our all of our clout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like they didn't make enough money off of Fallout 76. Yeah, that's true but, enough. Um, they really, really, really fucked their own reputation with that. Oh, man. Baggate. Uh, bugs. Oh man, seriously, I've never seen a, a company handle PR as badly as Bethesda does sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the the um, the big scandal when they, um, I guess, when you uh, opened a ticket with them, a support ticket, uh, you could see the oh, yeah. support <laughs> tickets and the information of all the other people. Yeah, that was bad. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, that's uh, somebody. I think somebody got fired over that one. Yeah, probably, most likely. <laughs> uh, another remaster that I'm actually more excited for, personally, is Kingdom of Amalur Re-Reckoning. I have the, oh, yeah, same. Yeah, I have the original game on Steam, and I tried to play it a couple times, but it kept crashing. <laughs> so, you know, I was really hoping for <laughs> I have, it. I have it on the PS3, and there's one, um, uh, one quest line where it could... Um, corrupt your safe game basically so Ouch. i was very i was very um cautious and anxious when i uh when i approached that quest line because i read about it in advance but it went really well for me so uh, it was a great experience overall yeah it's... and yeah i can't i can't wait for the for the remaster yeah it's definitely a hidden gem and i'm really hoping just like fine tuning the game a bit more and bringing it to modern pc systems will really let it shine because it you know it was like a 120 hour game with all the side quests and stuff you know and yeah definitely and i don't know i just if like the stealth felt really good because you could just like insta kill everything you know with the right like stat ups like with the right skills there was just a uh, the thing that i found even more interesting and which really stood out for me is um the the the, the amount of freedom you have with your crea uh, created character because um um the storyline is all about um fate and how your protagonist your playable character is the only one in the world who doesn't have one and you can see the threats of fate and manipulate them so uh, in terms of gameplay that meant that you could change your class on the fly and that you could even mix and match different classes and create a mix between a mage and a warrior or a thief or and a mage or whatever yeah there was and a good there amount of combos were like, yeah there were a lot of different combos based on the stats you you leveled and you could basically respec at any time at no cost which was really a brave move to make back then because um, it also invites for a lot of um exploitable yeah uh situations but it r worked really well in my opinion and couple that with the fact that you can craft your own weapons and enchant them and give them your own names um 
I mean, running around with a with a greatsword called Ass Whooper or something like that <laughs> <laughs> really enhances the experience, I think. Yeah, definitely. And um, the way I understand it, um, I'd have to read up on that again, but I think all the DLCs that have been released for Kingdoms of Amalur are included in the base game, they are, yeah. Reckoning. And they uh, have one other big expansion plan. Yeah, I thought it was really cool that they're like actually expanding upon the game. You know, because most remasters, once you make a remaster, you just throw it out there and then you forget about it. But they're actually like making a new expansion pack for it, which is pretty exciting for me at least. Yeah, for me too. I mean, it's it's called Fatesworn. It's uh, set to release in 2021. So you can spend a lot of time with the base game until it, it comes out but the fact that they're making it in the first place is really amazing for me because one other thing about kings of, of amalur is um when the first game was released i saw a lot of potential for a franchise actually happening and it kind of fell under the radar so I, my hope is that with the re-release of it with the remaster that it will get the necessary attention to warrant an actual franchise and a sequel at some point. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons I've been really happy about THQ Nordic as a development company, because they've been buying up a lot of the popular, uh, but, you know, not so sale at the time, not so sale productive games like the Amalur uh, Kingdom of Amalur and like um, the Darksiders franchise. Yeah, yeah, Darksiders and stuff like that. And they're they're just sort of breathing new life into it. And, you know, it's something I I really appreciate because a lot of these games, you know, had had such great potential and I'm just excited to see where they can take the series. Definitely. I mean, there are so many games and and even movies um, that become much more beloved and kind of like cult classics long after the fact, um, long after they've been released. And some of them weren't really successful at launch, but have become uh, huge fan favorites um, over the course of the years. And most of those games won't get another chance unless it's for publishers like THQ Nordic. Yeah. I mean, they're they're um, working on the on the remaster for the first Gothic game, complete. Uh, yeah, I saw that remake, not remaster even. Um, I mean, it it depends a lot on how closely they follow player feedback because um, that game that that playable teaser for the Gothic remake was given out to anyone who had owned any Piranha Byte games previously. So, if you have uh, one of the three gothic games or one of the three risen games or elex in your steam library you get the game for free basically and um it was a very very different experience to the first gothic um it has a lot of potential but um i I guess the the very important thing is how well they react to the feedback they're getting because if they do it like the teaser um it won't feel like gothic but the fact that they're doing it and that they're taking their time working on it and that they're pouring in so much passion and they basically it it was like a like a sucker punch you didn't see it coming they didn't announce it in in advance they just released the the teaser and it was free for everyone who owned a piranha bytes game so i mean there was a re- huge risk in and of itself so i'm really happy to see what they're doing with these franchises that would have died otherwise i mean it's the same for for darksiders which um after darksiders 2 had released um where the 
the last po portion of the game was a bit rushed because of development hell um the franchise would have actually died because of the closure of yeah. THQ so i'm really happy to see them bring all these franchises back definitely i mean and they're selling well i mean dark siders genesis was a big money maker and even dark siders 3 with its sort of mixed reactions i think sold pretty yeah, definitely. well yeah definitely it, it definitely um reached its targets its predicted targets because um I read very early on that if Darksiders 3 managed to sell um, at least at a some expected value that um, then they would work on another Darksiders game and otherwise not and it definitely obviously um, reached that margin and surpassed it because Darksiders Genesis happened and they're working on Darksiders 4 so yeah I'm really happy to see that succeed. Plus THQ Nordic has like really great PR as a company because uh like they were giving away Darksiders Warmastered Edition and Darksiders 2 Definitive Edition to people who had already bought the game you know they're, they're just really good at, at getting that goodwill so I personally you know they're one of my favorite developers these days and I, I hope to yeah same and I'm on a lot of their uh, Discord servers like on the official Darksider server and the uh, Kingdoms of Amalur server, and they're very open there. Um, especially one of the of the employees at THQ Nordic called Zidi or Zidi or whatever um, is engaging with the community a lot on all of those servers. So that's great to hear. And I, I mean, they have one of my most anticipated games of Biomutant. Can't wait to see whenever that releases. Oh yeah, definitely. Looks like it's got a lot of a lot of promise, especially considering how each trailer has made the game even better because like the first trailer was a little iffy like eh, i mean it's it looks cool it looks experimental but it you know experimental means not that great maybe but now it's yeah. like now they've got like all these vehicles and combats looking crazy and fun and all that other good stuff so yeah i'm, I'm really i'm really happy to see that you know thq nordic is bringing back some of the good old hidden gems that never would have gotten to see the light of day otherwise yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, um, they are they are working on um, what do they have? They have um, they've just been buying up all kinds of like old studios these days. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have the Desperados franchise. Oh yes, the... I reviewed Desperados three, and oh man, was that a great game! I've played the first and the second games, not to completion, but most of the way, because um, mm. I was like twelve at the time. Uh, and, uh, oh man, that game just absolutely, it's a Desperados game. And a lot of the times sequels can't really say that, but man, that it's just like the perfect, I mean, it's technically a prequel, but it is the perfect new entry to that series and really what it needed. Yeah. I mean, your review definitely convinced me that it was a great game. I definitely have to pick it up at some time, point. Yeah. I mean... You can really tell that there's a lot of love in these levels and that they're designed to really allow the player to sort of take a set of tools and just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And then and, and, and I really appreciate that because it's, it's sort of like it's less handholdy. I mean, it's harder, but it, it really gives that like player agency that you know, a lot of uh, games these days I feel are not 
are not doing because they're trying to make it more mass appeal. Yeah, definitely know what you mean. That's one of the issues I actually have with the um, Gothic remake play playable teaser, because um, Gothic is one of those series, one of those franchises where you're just thrown into the world. And um, one thing that made the first two Gothic games especially so... Um, so great in a way is that um, you don't have any quest markers on your map, you don't have a mini-map or a compass or anything like that, um, but instead the world is shaped in a way that is has a, a lot of recognizable landmarks, I gotta say, where the quest giver just tells you, you go through the south gate, then you take the first left, and then you follow the, the path until you reach that small bridge, and then you make a left before that, and they, they give you actual descriptions of the way, and that playable teaser of the Gothic Remaster, or Remake, rather, um, has all the things that you, you'd expect from a modern game with quest markers and in the middle of your conversations pop-ups uh, telling you that you've accepted the new quest and all <laughs> that and yeah that's something that a lot of fans are not too keen on and i think if they take the feedback seriously which was one of the reasons they put the playable teaser out there i the think they will yeah once you finish it once you finish it um you are invited to take part in a in a um in a poll or rather yeah, you're you're invited to to give feedback basically um, from the main menu. So I think they are at least intending to take this the feedback seriously. Yeah, I'm really hoping to see something good from that because, I mean, I I don't have much experience with the Gothic series, uh, but just the world and even some of the combat, like that was I thought was really interesting in the yeah, in the remake. Definitely get into it. If yeah. the remake doesn't happen for whatever reason or doesn't turn out to be actually good, I really, really strong, strongly advise you to give the old ones, the original ones, a try because those are really great games. Yeah, the only thing that really is keeping me from taking a look is, man, I've, I've, I've seen the control scheme and oh boy, does that <laughs> not look fun and player friendly? I. Yeah. It has aged rather poorly, but it, I'd it love was, to see a remaster of that. Even, honestly, even at the time, it was a very interesting and and innovative um, system because, um, I mean, we're we're talking about the same year that Morrowind came out, I believe. Oh wow, yeah, and and Gothic One has directional combat where you hold down the action key and then you control with your A, W, and D keys um, in which or from which direction you attack, basically. And it's really interesting. And if you start the game and you pick up your first weapon and you hit, uh, take, uh, you you attack a few enemies, it looks really, really crappy. <laughs> but but that's because you actually haven't leveled up your or trained your your weapon skills yeah because one of the things that's really interesting in that game is that it's not just that you improve some stats when you level up you click on a few numbers and suddenly you're, you're good at you get better numbers when attacking with a, yeah, with I a hate sword that but personally. you go you go to trainers and they actually tell you how to hold your weapon and how to swing better and how to connect your attacks to each other better so to create combos and all that and once you've done that, um, your entire set of combat animations looks different and they flow better. So the fact that they look very clunky in the beginning is actually intended. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, yeah, I think 
the reason it was so innovative, as you mentioned, was because in sort of like Desperados 3, you're not a superhero, you're not a protagonist, you're not, you're not your typical protagonist, you're a guy thrown into a world, <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> here, survive, figure it out, you know, yeah, sounds great. otherwise you die, and then you have to restart. Uh, so, uh, talking about games that won't see the light of day, uh, we've got the recent documentary, sort of interactive documentary, called Half-Life Final Hours, which revealed that five Half-Life games and plenty of other games were canceled until they finally got Alex out. What are your thoughts on, mm. on that? I'm personally very familiar with similar things. Um, one of my favorite franchises, which isn't actually connected to Valve in any way, is the Legacy of Kane franchise. Mm-hmm. So Reva and Blood Omen. And, um, I mean, I think... I think I've seen once that there are 10 different cancelled games in that franchise. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, we we sort of got a satisfying conclusion, but not really. It was kind of open-ended, and there's still this huge, looming main antagonist around. So it would have been very satisfying to see a conclusion to that. But what we got wasn't actually bad. Um but of course, uh, one of the voice actors, uh, Tony J, sadly passed, and everything Aww. was cancelled at that point. Um, but yeah, over the course of the of the entire franchise, there were like ten different cancelled games, and um, the Half Life franchise is definitely a, a game changer in 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 many ways. Um, the first person shooter genre was influenced by the first Half Life game for for decades, and the second game had a similar influence and um, Portal, in a similar way, was very, very innovative and very great experience in many ways in terms of uh, interactive storytelling in, in first-person games and in terms of physics-based games and all yeah. that stuff. But um, I'm not actually that invested in them. So seeing that there are several cancelled conceptual games in that franchise... Um, I mean, we've all waited for ages, and we've all made those <laughs> those jokes about Valve not being able to count to three. They still um, haven't counted to three yet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, for me, it's just an an interesting side note, an interesting tidbit to know that oh, okay, they had plans for several games and they cancelled them all. But I mean, we would have waited either way for them. So yeah, I, uh... I mean. Alex, Alex is out, and TFX made a made a review on that, and it seems like it's a really great game. And now they are apparently actually working on Half Life Three, and it's actually happening. So I'm I'm actually happy about that, and don't so much care about the cancelled <laughs> projects. Because in the in the case of of the Legacy of Kane franchise, I mean, ten games got cancelled, and we don't get any any other thing as uh, basically. Um, <laughs> to to alleviate that fact yeah um definitely i i read an interesting article that basically said because as we all know that uh valve has that unique system where people can work on whatever whatever they want but this time to get alex just out the door they had to sort of get rid of that system and they had to just stick people on the project and say you're going to work on this 
<laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they had that system in the first place. Yeah, it was it was kind of famous, but uh, I'm sure as you can imagine, it's what caused a lot of projects to be dropped because you know one yeah, guy definitely one guy would be interested in it, start developing it, and then they just walk off and no one would pick it up again f forever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, another shooter that has somewhat been getting some press, but is not as popular and good as people had hoped was the Rocket Arena, their new EA sort of multiplayer shooter. I've been mm. seeing it getting a lot of sevens lately. I just wanted a, a quick thought from you on, you know... Um. I haven't had much exposure with that, yeah. so I, I can't really say either good or bad things about it. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It was It's another one of those sevens things. Yeah. I think it's like, and I, I, I sort of wonder whether, I think it might be an actual like seven, seven, considering like people were actually able to give them nine, EA nines for once in their life recently due to Jedi mm. Fallen Order. Um, so Which is great. I'm playing it right now and it's really addictive <laughs> uh yeah it's i'm I'm so fine i'm so glad that ea is finally i guess i don't know why but they've sort of woken up so you know we actually might get decent games again from them because i mean they... yeah, especially especially single player focused experiences because that's what they've been neglecting all this time and that's why they've been canceling all these promising games like Star Wars 1313 looked really really interesting and I would have loved to play that but they for some reason decided that no one plays single player games anymore yeah. which is a shame so I'm really happy to see what they did with Jedi Fallen Order yeah, or rather what they what they allowed Respawn to do with it yeah and Respawn really had a great showing as a first sort of like first game with you know an AEA partnership yeah definitely uh, so Next up is going to be the Devolver Digital Expo, which happened this past weekend um, on Saturday. Uh, it was crazy as usual. Yeah. You know, they continued the storyline, although it did feel a little bit like the end, sort of, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I've got to be upfront with you. I haven't been able to, to watch it yet because of all the things that happened in uh, have been happening in my life recently, but I've heard a lot of great things about it, and I haven't been expecting anything less. Um, yeah, Devolver's... I can't, I, I can't really speak to the, well, I guess, the conclusiveness of the of the storyline they introduced, <laughs> um, how, how completed or ended it feels, but um, from what I've heard, it has been really quite a show again. And... Um, also, that uh, that that free game, which is basically the tour around uh, what, yeah. Uh, yeah, what, the, a, what an expo of Devolver. Yeah, I thought like. that was a fun way to really like you know because obviously no one at the moment can go to expos. I thought it was a fun way to bring sort of expos to the people. Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious to see if that's something that they will stick to, like if that's basically a, a basis for future expos they do, because. Um, Quite honestly, the, the the amounts of money they waste on these expos when they happen, on the on the E three and all that, it's just insane. It's mind blowing oh, yeah. how much money they put into that. And if they can do it like this, which actually is really fun and your feet don't hurt after it, <laughs> um, I'm all for it. Yeah, I I saw an interesting comment um, about it. How it would be cool if like E three turned into this, like Devolver Digital 
expo like gameplay thing and like you could download like the different like big publishers expos as like dlc for free uh you know so obviously because they're gonna have they're gonna put in like big assets to look cool so it's gonna be like a good amount of space but i you know i think it might actually be like they did it as a joke but it might actually be (laughs) a fun way to do it in the future i mean it's definitely looking like uh the people behind the three have to think of something like that and might just pick it up because um with all their scandals about uh, personal information of all the journalists that attended yeah. being leaked and all that stuff and with how m- I, th- I think at the time right now it's, it's really interesting how more and more developers and especially publishers are discovering that they don't actually need the e3 yeah, yeah, a lot of the because Nintendo has been doing it all along with their Nintendo Direct, but uh, more and more publishers, especially now that they have to, because no one can go to these expos, they are discovering that they can just do their own streams, their own directs, and uh, state of play and whatever you want to call yeah. it, and and still have the same exposure and just put your videos out there on YouTube and save a lot of money in the process. So if the E three wants to be a thing that's around in two or three years still then i think they have to adapt and do something like this yeah because i know that mostly it was like devolver and like nintendo and smaller indies doing directs but now that like ubisoft has sort of gotten on the train and And sony too yeah and sony and other big companies are sort of like watching seeing that the numbers are honestly pretty good um i think yeah yeah e3's got to do something to make it worthwhile to come there in person or, you know, try and make a digital format that's actually interesting. Or at the very least, not leak personal information of journalists yeah, attending that's, the expo. <laughs> that certainly doesn't help because, I mean, I think one of the reasons that like the Devolver Digital Expo and all these directs are so popular is because you actually just get to see the games and then you just get to go do something else because a lot of these gaming shows have so much filler content with, like, interviews of the developers. I mean, which, honestly, is is interesting sometimes, but, man, they really pad those things out sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And if you consider how how much time you spend standing in line at those events, um, I mean, that makes uh, a digital format that much more appealing to me. And um, couple that with the fact that you can just split it up over several days or a week or several weeks even if you have the download if you have that virtual tour of the of the expo whereas um, you would usually try to have it all covered in one or two days at at most yeah and cram all that stuff in as as um as a visitor of the of the expo i mean uh, yeah i mean it's it's certainly better on people's wallets and all factory senses <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> Because you don't have to worry about the person next to you showering in a virtual setting. Yeah, the only thing that I can really see um, being a bad effect of the E3 not being as successful is that small indie uh, developers may uh, certainly get more exposure right now when they attend the E3 and stand next to a big publisher or something like that. Whereas if they just do their directs and they don't yet have the big audience, they will not get recognized as much. I think, yeah, I think that's what Humble Bundle is trying to do with their new Humble Games thing. 
yeah, sort of like as a publisher, like every other week, I've gotten like an email with a, like a short video, which is sort of like a direct, like, look at these games that are coming out. And yeah, uh, exactly. And there are others as well, like, uh, um, what was it called? That's there was something similar, which was like uh, um, several indie publishers getting together and doing this um, direct kind of thing that was. Uh, showing off several indie games from different oh yeah yeah i also remember i think you're talking about that what was it It was like the wholesome direct or something yeah something like that (laughs) exactly it was like an hour of trailers but it was about games specifically that are like pretty relaxing or something so that was that was pretty cool that actually generated some hype yeah true and i think we need just more of those things and the E3 will pretty much become obsolete. Because, as I said, right now the, the main advantage I see of the E3 is that small indie or middle-sized indie developers that don't have much of exposure yet uh, can get the exposure and the attention as a side effect by just being at this big event where people go for the big publishers but see them too. Yeah, um, so... Now that we've gotten most of the big topics out of the way, I've got a, just a quick lightning round for fun of some slightly older news or news that neither of us really have much experience with. And just a, just a quick comment or something uh, I think would be, you know, cool just to sort of, you know, get off the cuff sort of thoughts. Although not like <laughs> we haven't been doing that before. Uh, so the first lightning round topic is uh, Tencent is looking to buy the Warframe developer and knock Sony out of the bids. Thoughts? Um, interesting. Um, personally, I, I like the uh, the things Digital Extremes has done so far um, with Warframe especially, which is, uh, in my opinion, still one of the best or, or one of the better free-to-play games out there. Because you can, even the, the, the freemium or premium currency, the platinum, you can earn by farming parts and selling them in the market. So um, yeah. it's really one of the most rewarding free-to-play games out there. Which is, uh, I'm the fact that they're being bought at all, no matter by whom, is what worries me a bit. Uh, yeah, I definitely. can't say if I would prefer Sony or Tencent to get the to get the uh, the rights, basically, but um, the fact that they are being sold at all is what, what worries me most. I can't say which which of the two giants I'd prefer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandable. Um, but at the same time, I, I've had a long-running on-off relationship with Warframe. It's one of those games that every time you get back into it, it feels like a whole new experience because they've changed so, so much and have added so much new content to it. And it's a great experience to get back into it and play it for a month or two, but then it starts to... The, the grind gets to you again and then you kind of let it die off again and then a few months later you get back to it. So it's not like it's something that fills my entire free time anyway. Yeah. All right. Next, but it's going to be interesting to see what comes of it. Next up in the lightning round, Iron Harvest, the RTS uh, with steampunk giant robots, just released a new trailer. Thoughts? The trailer looks amazing. I'm not a huge RTS person, but that game, seriously, I mean, um, yeah. The the last time uh, 
RTS game really caught my attention like that, I believe was Supreme Commander, which very good, pretty yeah. huge on mechs and all that, and was a really good RTS game. And I mean, Iron Harvest looks amazing. It really does, and I'm glad to see someone else is taking up the torch of the more squad-focused RTS style. Yeah, uh, definitely. Next up, uh, Super Hot Mind Control Delete. It's uh, roguelike and instead of a linear thing. What do you thought? think? It looks really interesting, and I love the fact that if you owned Super Hot before the release of this new game, you got it for free. Um, I haven't gotten around to play it yet, but I have it in my library, so I'll definitely, definitely give it a, a go. Yeah. Uh, Rise and Zero Dawn Complete comes out in August. It's one of the new Sony ports. What do you think of the, the whole Sony porting situation? I love that um, more and more exclusivity deals are becoming a thing of the past. I mean, I don't expect to get many uh, former PlayStation exclusives on the Xbox One, for example, or, <laughs> <laughs> or any other console, but I love that... Um, they're opening up on in terms of exclusivity and i mean uh, uh microsoft is doing it um and and sony is starting to to pick up the pace now too yeah i think we're not gonna get any new releases instantly on pc as well um i think uh, they're gonna have to be out for a couple of years before they hit pc but the fact that they're doing it at all is is, is great yeah i'm not quite sure whether or not I'll get Horizon Zero Dawn because I have the complete uh, complete edition on the PS4. But it's a great game and I can really recommend it to anyone who hasn't played it yet because maybe they don't have the PS4. Yeah, I personally picked it up and was really excited about it because I've heard great things about it, but I don't. I only own a gaming PC. I don't own any co modern consoles. So it was really nice to be able to, to play that. Um, when normally I would either have to... I would probably have to wait like a good five years until the... Uh, consoles like dirt cheap and then pick up like a used copy somewhere yeah all right yeah no i i think it's definitely the right way to go the less exclusive any of these uh systems are the better it is for for everyone involved yeah uh no this is lightning round so i just want to put, put out one last quick thought from myself um i wonder if the reason these are becoming so much more popular is because people who have consoles generally don't have high-end gaming PCs, so I wonder if there's not a lot of overlap and it's just equal to more sales. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the exception with my, my new PC now and <laughs> still owning most of the consoles, uh, but I think most people have either the one or the other. So yeah, people who only have um, a PS4 already have the game, and people who don't can now buy it and generate more sales, basically. Yeah. I know that that's something that made Capcom uh, think about port bring everything to PC. Yeah, and at the same time, it's it's those games are still a bit of system sellers because, uh, like I said, it's it's not like we should expect a new PlayStation exclusive to come out and be released on on the PC at the same time, basically. Yeah, I just I just love like a, a schedule that's you know really rather consistent. You know, like Sony announces, uh, five, four years after the game comes out, you know, you can find it on PC or something like that. Yeah, nice. that's that's basically what we're what we're heading to, I think. And it's I'm like, I'm hoping uh, they keep up with that because I want my Bloodborne, Bloodborne, and Persona Five on my, on my PC. Yeah, definitely. But what is even more interesting now that you mention uh, Bloodborne is that Demon Souls is finally getting another go. Yeah, let's um, hope because... that comes to PC. 
Yeah, I hope so too. Because Demon Souls, um, I mean, it 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 really kicked the Souls like genre off, but didn't get as much attention. So it's great to get back into it. I mean, I have it on the PS3, and it's a great experience. But it's it's nice that more people get to experience it now. Oh yeah, definitely. All right, next lightning topic: uh, a sweat-proof mouse that has a built-in fan and has the like, <laughs> holes in the plastic casing. What do you think? Would you buy it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't no. have many problems with sweat on my mouse. Uh, I'm very hap- happy with my mouse, actually. And um, yeah, I, I don't think I need that. But I'm I'm glad they're thinking about these things. Yeah, it does seem like a bit of a niche product. Uh, yeah. Next up, uh, Mafia Definitive Edition from the original, which is sort of like the remake, was delayed, but was just recently announced to be coming out July 22nd. What are your thoughts on that? I generally think that delays are a good way to go because, as we talked about before, um, rushing a game out, even if it's not quite finished yet, is always a bad thing. And whenever I read or hear that a game is delayed, I assume that it is to give the developers more time to finish the game and to polish it. So I'm generally happy about any delay. Yeah. Even if it's something I've been anticipating for a long time, like... um, let's say they make a, a huge Half-Life 3 announcement and then delay it for another year, I would still be happy about that. But because at this point, we've waited so long with this one yeah. more year. Yeah. Uh, Microsoft might buy the Warner Bros. gaming department. That's the big some big news, that they're actually going to potentially be the official buyer. Yeah. Um, I don't really have any thoughts on that because... Um, the monetization in some of these Warner Brothers games, as we have them right now, is already terrible. So I don't th- see it getting much worse. Yeah. And in the ideal scenario, it might even get better along the way. So I don't know. Just wait and see. Yeah, and I I do have to say that Microsoft so far has shown to be rather competent with the uh, third-party developers that they've bought. Yeah, definitely. Definitely no EA. <laughs> yeah, certainly not. All right, last topic uh, for the podcast and last topic for the lightning round. Adobe Flash is dead now. Any thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, we've, we've heard that Adobe Flash was dying or was being discontinued for, especially me as a, as a web developer, I've heard that for decades now. <laughs> yeah. Because when, when HTML5 was introduced, uh, it was already said that it was basically the end of flash and that flash was no longer to be used and so i don't know what to think about it now i guess adobe like a couple weeks ago officially announced it was it was dead in the water like it will not be getting any updates and you know it's pretty much been taken out of all major modern browsers these days i mean um the really interesting question is how quick will people be with Um, adapting to these changes and I mean not us as the users but people that have released Flash content so far so far it seems to be how many many of these things will be unavailable for a long period of time because people aren't quick enough to adapt yeah so far it seems to be uh, doing pretty well honestly Um, I believe HTML5 specifically designed their creation tools so that it was really easy for people from Flash to jump over. Um, but yeah, I can see its difficulty, but I'm I'm hopeful. I'm definitely hopeful. And from what I've seen of the HTML5 scene, I'm uh, I'm I'm definitely pretty excited about not having security holes anymore. Yeah, definitely. 
And I mean, like I said, it's not like we haven't had enough time to prepare and adapt. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the era of Flash games, I don't know why, but it's sort of died out anyway due to like indie games and I don't I don't really know yeah, why. It's just I guess the people who made them just grew up and became indie developers and there hasn't really been a huge interest in replacing, you know, them as developers because there are other avenues these days with like Unity and Unreal being, you know, so easy to get at them too these days. Yeah, and they also have a lot of um out of the box options to make them available on as many platforms as you wish basically they have um, options to make your mobile games directly in the engines or your linux games or whatever um so yeah probably not a big need to still <laughs> be using flash yeah yeah well that's the uh that's been the podcast thank you very much manos for joining me this week uh you yeah, can exactly. you can catch us every saturday unless there's some crazy strange thing that happened to us uh i hope you all or stranger things oh yes or stranger things <laughs> i don't know things have been pretty strange these days huh yeah exactly um and i hope you enjoy your gaming and our thoughts and you can get back to gaming in three two one now It would have been amazing if it had actually worked.